as a consumer healthcare company really has like the unique opportunity to build a relationship with the consumer and that's something that is very precious because it's to do with the health and it's to do with something they care about a lot um, and they can really start to fill in the gaps and offer more personalized service they can try and guide the consumer to the right lifestyle choices um, and maybe that's not always to do with their product if, if you deviate away from just selling all the time I think that's kind of building the trust and then the truth of the consumer too Welcome to the new HBW Insight over-the-counter podcast with me, David Ridley, Senior Editor, Europe. In this new podcast, I'll be talking to industry figures and experts about new trends and issues emerging in the global consumer healthcare market. In this episode, I speak to regulatory expert Natasha Barrow about the role of trust in consumer healthcare. During the day, Natasha is a Regulatory Affairs Officer at UK consultancy firm Jensen R Plus. In her free time, she has created and writes with others for the Science Grad blog, which seeks to counter misinformation in science and healthcare, as well as help graduates build careers in this sector during a very difficult time. We talk about how public trust in science has waxed and waned in recent years, and how consumer healthcare companies can be sources of truth for consumers looking to find their way through the massive information now available on the internet and elsewhere. We also reflect on the fascinating world of borderline products and the specific challenges they bring for companies, regulators and consumers. My name is Tash Barrow, as you know, um, and currently I work as a Regulatory Affairs Officer for Jensen Arpus Limited. Um, they're a consultancy with a headquarters based in Devon uh, and an office based in Nottingham. So I secured that job after graduating from university last year. I did a degree in biological sciences uh, with a placement in regulatory affairs uh, and then I stumbled across this job. I got referred by someone I'd met on my placement year to uh, the head of regulatory at Jensen and then they interviewed me and they gave it to me. Um, so I started working for them during lockdown in November, during the pandemic. And uh, shortly after that, I started the science grad as kind of a creative outlet. So do you want to say a little bit about the science grad uh, project? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the science grad was initially just set up as like a blogging platform for myself, just really to write articles and speak about things that I was interested in. So it started with um, a series called A Simple Guide to COVID-19. And it was me just explaining like the basics of COVID um, and kind of theorizing how I thought the pandemic would end because this was before vaccines were out there or anything like that. Um, and then I started kind of networking a little bit more, meeting other people that were blogging. And I decided to take the opportunity to develop it as more of a blogging network rather than just myself. Um, so now I've got kind of a small team of content producers um, and they really just write about anything that they're interested in to do with science. Uh, but we've also tried to go in the um, direction of science careers too. So um I decided I wanted to speak about science careers because at university I felt like there wasn't that many options. I didn't know about regulatory affairs before I did my placement. Um, 
I think with COVID as well, there was a lot of placements and opportunities cancelled. So I wanted to create maybe an avenue or just some information for people that were looking for something in the science sector or they had a science degree, but they wanted to work outside of science and give them some options and some directions and some guidance um, and just to explore opportunities for them as well. Yeah, it's a great project, I think. And, um, and it's grown, I think, hasn't it, quite a bit? Yeah, I mean, it kind of, it didn't really start as anything other than me writing in my room and posting it and thinking, ah, oh, like, you know, this feels good to be able to kind of speak to people without speaking to people, because obviously we weren't meeting up with people during lockdown and like communication became very digitalized. Uh, so I really took that on and decided to start writing down and I was writing like journals and stuff at the same time it wasn't just like science things it was just really an outlet for me um and then I started posting it and I started speaking about it to people um during like uh zoom conferences and like networking sessions with like Leeds alumni people started messaging me about it privately um and saying that they wanted to write for it and like it was such a lovely like overwhelming thing to publish something online and someone message you and say it's good and then say they want to be part of it like that was that was incredible and it felt amazing that people could understand what I was saying without ever meeting me. Mm. Yeah that is nice I mean we we don't often get people responding to the stuff we publish but it's always <laughs> nice when someone gets in touch and even even if it's you know critical they've got something yeah so, you know it's engagement isn't it? Definitely. I think almost those things are more useful because it it can be it can hit home a bit. It can make you feel a bit like, oh, like that hurts. But then it changes your perspective and it makes you think a bit differently. And the next time you write, you think about that experience. And I think they're very useful. Yeah. Well, I mean, writing is a skill and and an art in itself, isn't it? So with practice, you get better at it and having feedback. Is, is part of that learning process isn't it Definitely, yeah. so you and and you, on the science grad as you mentioned you know you've got stuff about science careers which is obviously really important for for young people uh, trying to find their way in in the kind of broader uh, industry but, but you also publish um, articles on consumer related issues don't you so you've got and you've got one on the difference between cosmetics and medicines one about probiotics you know what yeah. makes um what's the difference between a prescription drug and a, a non-prescription drug so you're you know this is actually also directly relevant to you know our, our kind of bit of the industry our readership in consumer healthcare isn't it mm-hmm. yeah yeah so like those articles are really things i've learned through work and things that i think haven't like from my perspective as a consumer, I didn't know them. And I think that's quite like, not sad, but I think it's, I think it should be communicated more so people can understand what they're buying because there's such a big difference between a cosmetic and a food supplement and a medicine and the language that's used around them can mislead the consumer. And I think having that knowledge and that education to be making an informed decision about what you're buying is within a consumer's right and <laughs> um, so that's why I like speaking about things like that because it's things people will buy every day or every month or every year or they'll walk past it on the shelf every day and they won't think twice about it but yeah. 
as soon as you start publishing an article like that, everyone can relate because they can go into their bathroom and pick something off the shelf and they can look at it and think, okay, this is a cosmetic. Okay, this is a food supplement. Okay, this is like an over-the-counter medicine. Um, and it's just like a little bit of an insight into things that you don't realise every day. So, mm. yeah. yeah, well, I suppose the point is as well that it's a kind of general resource, isn't it? I mean, it's really interesting mm. that what you're writing about are these very broad questions because you know I think we like to think in the consumer healthcare industry that we're providing accurate information and we're providing you know the resources for consumers to make um, a responsible self-care choice but it's not just about you know the patient information leaflet or you know the brand website is it there are these these bigger questions the kind of things that we're interested in well on your side from being in the, the consultancy side but you know as a journalist as well these are the kind of issues that we like to write about um it's, it's important to have a a general understanding isn't it about what these differences are and what these products do and how they're different from you know things that might look quite similar as you say mm, yeah and i think a lot of the time as you've kind of said there is the information is already out there but it's not always accessible or it's not presented in the way that it's easy for people to understand so like a lot of a lot of most of the things I write is just really really like they'll, they'll be completely obvious to people in the industry but from my perspective putting it in writing and really making it re- very very simple for myself to understand um it helps build, make those building blocks so I can start to build on my technical expertise and I think also feeding that through into just like like the wider consumer base and understanding those little facts as a consumer they're useful you, you don't have to be in the industry to use that that's something that can be used in your day-to-day life yeah. Um, so yeah yeah, yeah very I mean, it's funny because I remember a few years ago when I started writing about uh, consumer healthcare and OTC medicines I mean firstly I learned loads of stuff that I probably should have known <laughs> that I didn't <laughs> I didn't know before but yeah when people used to ask me what I, what I did and you know that dreaded question and then you have to try and explain it especially when you do something that is maybe a little niche um, yeah I just started to realize um, how little knowledge there really is about you know what what an OTC medicine is I mean you just you just I suppose for a consumer you're just thinking right I've got this ailment or you know I'm not feeling very well how do I solve that problem now well I know I can go and buy this product and that, and that's basically um, the kind of process isn't it yeah exactly and I think one of like the like the blessings of like Google and stuff is you can find options that you want for yourself like some people want to turn to botanicals some mm. people want to seek, seek medical advice and that's that's good because people have a choice and they can choose to do what they want and they can choose to do their own research and develop their own understanding and mm. I think that really creates innovation in a lot of ways um, and creates new products and new ways of thinking about science and treatment and disease um, so yeah it's very it's very interesting it's very it's very like I think there's always there's always like a view of farm like big farmer and things like that as being away and kind of untouchable by consumers but we're reaching that 
that time and that that trend where people can actually start to understand a bit more and get a bit more of an insight into what they're using and that's the like the bridge of that is like OTC products mm. yeah definitely so should we get into some uh, some more weighty questions then so trust and truth in science um, and you know healthcare and stuff has has become a you know really important uh, topic obviously because of the coronavirus but in general you know it's been a it's been a bit of a waxing and waning kind of thing hasn't it public trust in in the various bits of of the healthcare space um i mean how important is trust and truth in health communication and and has that changed over the last you know year and a bit during the pandemic yeah so I mean having trust and truth I think it's it's imperative to healthcare communication like every person across the world like they need it they deserve it um and they deserve to understand their health and like the ways that they can help themselves I think there has been kind of a more obvious like lack of trust and there's been inconsistencies in the truth with regards to COVID um I don't it's very difficult because I don't necessarily think that intentional (laughs) inconsistencies like when science the way science is is there's new things coming out all the time and that can be very confusing especially with something like a global pandemic because there's been so much attention paid to it that things that would usually be studies like um initial studies that didn't get a lot of attention and a lot not a lot of press they've received so much um and then when things go in different directions that leads to people not trusting the science or not being secure in the science that's being published um but yeah I think trust and truth in the healthcare community and in communication is it's incredibly important and I think kind of the vehicle of building that is based on education and the materials that are being produced but then also giving people the tools to educate themselves um I think that's something that has been really exemplified throughout the pandemic because we started off with COVID and there was loads of science jargon being thrown out here there and everywhere on the news and no one really knew what was going on (laughs) and then then we started to see like this birth of miscommunication we I mean it might have just originally stemmed from kind of jokes and memes and things like that but it just started snowballing into people not believing in COVID people thinking COVID is because of 5G and everything to do with that conspiracy theories full blown conspiracy theories but then there was also there was also like very understandable um not conspiracy theories but people but but things that just didn't make sense Mm. because they'd never been explained and then you see the government response and they're trying to produce um communications and media they're trying to disseminate miscommunication and misinformation it it was all it was all very reactive yeah but I'm hoping from all of this there'll be more investment in healthcare communication and not necessarily telling people 
this is what this is, this is what is wrong, but guiding people to the proper resources, the proper tools to understand for themselves and build that understanding and make informed healthcare choices. Um, I think that's really where trust will come from, is not kind of blind faith and blind trust in the messages that government and public health are producing, but providing those tools and those techniques for people to build the trust themselves and build their education and their understanding themselves. Um, and I think that's the way the society has really grown in yeah. this kind of period, as opposed to what medicine and healthcare was like before, because there was such a bigger gap in education. People really didn't understand health mm. um, and topics like cancer and things like that. They were so misunderstood, even in science, but particularly within the public sector. And now we're getting um, within the public. And then now we're getting more information published and more understanding and more guidance. And it helps people maintain a level of calm and, again, build build that trust back up. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Agree, yeah. Yeah, I think, like you say, you know, the, the resources have expanded, like, exponentially, you know, through the internet and uh, and also... A lot of science is more open now. There's a lot of open access stuff, which which helps mm. as well. So people can access the actual science rather than you know representations of the science in in the media and whatnot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think like you say, tr- I mean, trust is a two way thing, isn't it? I think one of the things that maybe has been shown by the different policy policy approaches across the world is governments that have placed um, a higher level of trust in their in their citizens you know in in Mm. people um but have supported that through really good communication like new zealand for example um i'm not saying you know this is the only reason but but they seem it seems to suggest that you know one of the reasons that they've managed the the pandemic really well is is that that they've you know put trust in people people have responded well you know followed guidance um, and then the communication has been transparent and sustained so um so yeah i think and but like you say that then needs to be backed up by education because people need to have those tools to be able to understand the science and be able to cope with a certain amount of uncertainty which is just part of science isn't it like you say yeah yeah definitely um yeah within science it's everything is uncertain like the whole the model of science is really it's based on trying to prove your hypothesis mm. wrong. You're trying to prove yourself wrong the whole time in the hope that you prove yourself right. <laughs> yeah, so, it's just that you can continue to be right. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's a concept I myself didn't really understand until my final year when I did a lab dissertation. Mm. Um, and I was trying to prove myself, I was trying to do everything to prove my hypothesis wrong and hoping that, <laughs> that, I, that it was right. <laughs> I'm praying as may seem, but... <laughs> but, the, but the thing is that if it's wrong, you learn something, don't you? It is, it is, yeah, a, yeah. It is a strange concept because, uh, yeah, I encountered this in my philosophy degree. Uh, I was forced to do like a philosophy of science module, which I hated because it was just so difficult and confusing. Um, but yeah, that was the thing. It was It was trying to get your head around that. Uh, and things like probability and uncertainty and I think yeah. it is difficult but that that is what science is isn't it 
so going back to the consumer healthcare industry, not so much with the pandemic, because uh, I suppose we played a bit of a secondary role um, in helping people to, like you know, manage their own health uh, during that time, rather than you know the pharmaceutical industry uh, in the prescription space, you know, where they're developing vaccines and uh, and that was all very exciting. But in general, how can consumer healthcare companies be that source of truth, um, as you put it in one of your articles? I think, um, I mean, <laughs> this is a very obvious statement for me, but kind of following those regulatory practices to mm. ensure transparency in your labelling and communications. Um, you know, because the re- regulations are like the framework that's built on evidence and the potential capabilities of the product. So by following regulations, you're making sure that you're protecting the consumer because you're communicating how much evidence you have Mm. and what logically your product can do with that level of evidence. And that doesn't mean that you can't guide consumers to do their own research and understand more. Um, But I think, yeah, it's really about it's really about kind of making sure that you follow the regulations in the sense that you keep the transparency there. Um, but then you can also really start to fill in the gaps because a consumer healthcare company really has like the unique opportunity to b- build a relationship with the consumer. And that's something that is very precious because it's to do with the health and it's to do with something they care about a lot um and they can really start to fill in the gaps and offer more personalized service they can try and guide the consumer to the right lifestyle choices um and maybe that's not always to do with their product is if you deviate away from just selling all the time i think that's kind of building the trust and then the truth of the consumer too um yeah i think that's that's a really nice message i think also you know there's a there's a kind of power that um consumer healthcare companies have especially the bigger ones with those big advertising budgets um you know they can be used along you know with the regulations obviously you've got the uh you've got organizations like the pagb and um and asa to kind of help make all of that work you know you can check obviously check your advertising and all that sort of stuff but yeah you can really like as you say um help people to self-care in general can't you basically and you've got those yeah. all of these great tools and and kind of media outlets and creative uh people that you work with to, to kind of make that happen yeah exactly and i think you know people buy products because they need it and they trust that it's going to work. Um, so that can be all to do with the branding of the company. <clears throat> so if they come across as someone that as, as a um, organization that lays everything on the table 
that they're not hiding anything they're not trying to mislead the consumer into thinking their product can do one thing or mislead them into thinking their product has the this magical effect and will cure all their ailments and they'll never have any problems again like consumers are very clued into this kind of over exaggerated um claim and they want the honest truth and whether that is not exactly what they need they appreciate that more than some built-up claim that doesn't make that doesn't come to fruition Mm. so I think from my perspective I always want a company that is selling what they're selling like I don't need all the bells and whistles I just Mm. need it for what I need it for (laughs) um and so I think yeah the honest communication and really following the regulations building and investing in a relationship with your consumers, that is one of the best ways that you can really communicate your truth. Um, And then, yeah, speaking about holistic health, because just because you're selling one product for one thing, that doesn't necessarily equate to the overall health of the person. So really showing that you're investing in them as a person and their health as a person, um, that comes across, you know, as a source of truth as someone and an organization that a person can trust and that's all you're really looking for with regards to health like health is one of the most sensitive things ever (laughs) like without your health like you can't do anything so being able to trust a company to give you the best information and the best products that's what will make consumers buy with regards to healthcare I'm not sure about any other industry (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but I think it's true isn't it it's it's fascinating I always find it fascinating to find companies uh that are you know still family run or mm. especially in Germany for example I write a lot about it in Germany but you get this in the UK as well and they've been selling like a, a trusted brand that's over 100 years old and you know people have always bought that particular product yeah. uh, and, and always will because it works you know they 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 believe in it and they trust the company that it's always going to be the same thing that works you know and I think yeah. that is maybe quite unique yeah yeah definitely um yeah all that side of things all like the branding the marketing of companies and things like that it's something I never thought I would really deal with it, mm. like in my day-to-day job because I was a scientist I knew I wanted to work um within the healthcare industry but it's such a big, big part of being a regulator because understanding how the consumer is interpreting a product um, and how they're reading it and how they're understanding the claims, you need to be able to see through the consumer's eyes to make sure they're not being misled. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, it's, ve- it's very, very interesting hearing how you know companies build up this kind of reputation because it's not really something you can touch is a feeling and Mm. that's the same as with being a source of truth and like building the trust those are both feelings really Mm. um so yeah it's it's (laughs) it's not very metric it's not very sciencey but (laughs) well there's a yeah well there's a science of uh of of marketing and creativity as well as yeah or maybe more of an art form but yeah yeah so um so yeah, I mean, so also the other side of this, um, another question that I thought of, especially reading a lot of your articles, deal with this, and and I know you're, you know, in your in your day job you deal with this a lot, 
with these kind of borderline products. I mean, this is this is exactly the thing, isn't it? That that some uh, categories or products or ingredients or you know the way that they're delivered sit in between regulatory frameworks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so like certain food supplements or botanicals or medical de- self care medical devices, etc. You know that that creates a problem, doesn't it? Um, for, for all different parts of of the market you know for consumers to kind of understand what's going on and being sold you know maybe stuff that that isn't trustworthy for companies that are maybe trying to actually do something uh do the right thing in that particular space but it's difficult because it's so complicated um and then regulators who are trying to deal with things that are also outside their particular department um, I mean, how 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 challenging are borderline products for healthcare communication and public trust? Yeah, I mean, they're super challenging just because of their nature. They're kind of confusing. They don't fit into the set categories that we've built regulations around. Um, so I think it can be difficult to communicate the differences and for the public to understand them um but i think often i think often the case when companies come to us with a borderline product they've got a lot of clinical evidence that suggests that it can act as a treatment or prevent a medical condition or something like that mm. But that isn't something they can communicate if they aren't a medicine or medical device. Um, And that can be incredibly difficult for someone at a company to hear and people that have innovated and made that product to hear because they truly... must be quite frustrating. Exactly. And they truly, truly believe that product works. And they want to communicate that with the consumers. Um, So that's when it becomes difficult because they're you know their kind of source of truth and what they believe their product to do they can't directly say that to the consumer because in the regulatory sense they aren't a medical medicine or medical device so they can't claim to treat disease or prevent disease um and that really creates a hurdle in a lot of ways but i think the thing that i will try to say clients and try and like when I try and speak to them and have a conversation around it is that's all based on the evidence you have. Um, and I think the, the biggest thing is to understand that the level of evidence you have determines what you can communicate with the consumer. Mm. Um, and so that, although you might not directly be able to say like, this is a treatment for IBS or psoriasis or whatever it is, you can make claims around your studies that don't relate to that, but yeah. it can still give consumer confidence. Um, and I think I think it's just difficult because, like, I think some companies go up a bit of the wrong avenue by trying to imply things a lot, and mm. imply, <laughs> implying it is basically the same as saying it. Like, <laughs> you're still going to get told off for it. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the, uh, that's the time to kind of let as I was saying earlier, give consumers the tools. Like uh, in the case of kind of um, 
say for a probiotic um a lot of the things you read about probiotics and a lot of things you read on websites is that implying that it can be a treatment for IBS or a disease um which isn't allowed to be said um and probiotics can't even be called probiotics but that's another tangent yeah, yeah. <laughs> to go on um but if you speak about how bacteria is reaching your gut um how it's got this amount of bacteria in it blah 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 consumers will fill in the gaps with their own knowledge or they'll do the research to fill in the gaps like they've come to look at your product for a reason because they've heard something from someone they've read something somewhere you know they've read an editorial piece Mm. um so I think it's about exemplifying your product as it is um and letting the consumer fill in the gaps by giving them the guidance or giving them the tools to do so uh, but yeah, in general, borderlines are very confusing. <laughs> they are. I mean, they make good, make for good content. They keep us busy as uh, as journalists. Yeah, yeah, yeah but, definitely. Uh, and it's the thing. I mean, I love doing borderlines the most. Like, uh, that's my favorite kind of thing to do at work because you end up reading so you end up researching so much, and you end up reading regulations, blog posts, looking into the product on the market, things like that. Um. And I think also they are really at that, like, they're at the edge of innovation at all time. They're just, they're just in this unique position where they can really choose to use regulations to their advantage mm. and they can make the most of it, of it to be the most innovative product on the market. Like, I think regulations often get overlooked as kind of like a hurdle and something that people need to overcome or they kind of, they limit innovation in a lot of ways. But actually, if you understand the regulation very in-depth and really look into it, you can really harness that to get the most out of it and then get the most out of your product. Yeah, I think that's a really good message. I mean, there's a few good messages in there just kind of reflecting on on the chat we've had because I think, you know, embracing regulation and, and, um, and using it as a framework rather than seeing it as a threat or something to be mm. you know manipulated or um, you know cracked open and uh, and to slip something unregulated unre- in there but I think like you say um, that's a really good example of probiotics isn't it I think you can't really say a lot about probiotics as they can't even call them probiotics in most European <laughs> countries but um, what you can do is produce a really good probiotic or you know mm-hmm. strain of bacteria in a supplement or whatever it is and and then yeah like you say probiotics is a trending ingredient so there's lots of people that are interested in it there's lots of stuff out there you know people writing about it um you know scientific papers and blah 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 so yeah just producing the best probiotic you can um is i suppose the the job that you have as a company uh, yeah. making it yeah exactly I think that's such a thing that um you can kind of relate that to like blogging as well so with anything any kind of company anything you start like the heart of it should be with blogging should be the content you produce if you're Mm. producing good articles it doesn't matter how many people are reading it doesn't matter how many people are following you're making good content and that is the purpose of what you're doing um and with a company you want to make a good product that works. Okay, you might not be able to call it a probiotic. 
you might not be able to say it can treat this that or the next thing but if people try your product and it works for them and they like it they're gonna buy it mm. <laughs> and the same thing with blogging like you produce you keep writing you keep learning people might not always read your articles but you'll start to build something out of it regardless and that's the biggest thing I learned from like doing the blogging thing because originally I started doing stuff on Instagram and I got picked up by um a page and I started writing stuff for them and I'm investing a lot in the content there but I kind of neglected my own blog a lot Mm. and I think it was difficult because with through that page more people were seeing my work so that was really exciting because I knew I was communicating with more people and helping more people and everything but the thing that I enjoy most was writing the long articles and doing the research and things like that Um, and so I think yeah you've just got to stick to the core principles and I think that's something you're going to any company and they have principles written on the wall or core objectives and stuff but it's making sure that you stick to that um and then obviously the regulations as well (laughs) (laughs) well I think I think that's just such a great um place to stop and and you know there are lessons for for us and you know my colleagues at HBW Insight and I think yeah we would agree I think you just do what you do well and then um, mm. hope that's good enough and and it's yeah. helpful to people so um, so yeah I mean I, I think keep doing the the blog because it's great and um, and thanks for thanks for the time you spent like talking about all this with with us oh no worries I mean I'll I'll I'm always excited to be about anything to do with healthcare and science. So <laughs> it's a good learning opportunity for me as well. Um, and I enjoy speaking to people that have been in the industry and like yourself, you do a lot of research so you understand a lot of complexities that I won't. Uh, I think these conversations will help me with the future as well. Thanks for listening to Over the Counter. Watch out for new episodes in the future on the HBW Insight website, on our LinkedIn and Twitter pages, and on SoundCloud. See you soon.